0: G'day and welcome to another episode of Perth Property Insider. I'm your host, Jared Marne. And today I'm bringing you an episode on the more speculative types of property investment that you definitely need to be aware of. And I see starting out investors as well as more experienced investors chasing uh, cash flow usually try to get into some of these and they don't realize just how much they're risking. I really wanted to take you inside them and show you the downsides as well as also cover the benefits and the positives. So let's go inside. Welcome to Perth Property Insider, where you will learn how to grow your wealth and improve your life using Perth Property. Our show is brought to you by Investors Edge Real Estate, the highly rated and award-winning property management specialist servicing the whole of Perth. Now, here is your host, Jared Mann. Every property boom sees a whole new generation of investors come to buy their first investment property. And isn't it exciting to be getting into the market for the first time? I see these investors on forums and Facebook groups, and we get asked every so often about some of the more speculative purchase types. Now, because I've been around a while, been through a number of cycles, God, I'm starting to sound old, aren't I? I've seen both the upsides and the downsides of these more speculative types of investments, and the downsides aren't immediately evident. So the risks can be hidden, the trade-offs not understood, and especially when the shiny benefits are all that are focused on by the salesperson, they can be very attractive and alluring. So often these are sold by properties brokers or hotspot marketers who can present a very convincing case for why they make a great investment. They include in their presentations some solid property investment principles so that things all start to make a lot of sense, don't they? Like the power of compounding and using leverage to increase your returns. And they wrap up with a rags-to-riches story about how they've done it and the many reasons why you need to act now. So the trouble is that the cash flow benefits of each investment type are strong but the trade-offs and risks are never spoken about or properly understood. So let's explore some of these more speculative types of property investment today, and I'm going to give you both the positives, the benefits, and the downsides. So the first is mining towns. Now, the allure of that double-digit rental yield on offer in the mining towns is back with the recovery of our commodity prices and our next boom of mining well underway so it's making the investment potential look extremely golden again now one of the warning signs on the additional risk of buying in mining downs is that many of the banks won't lend to purchases in certain areas and if they do it'll be at a lower loan to value ratio of 60 to 70 percent maximum but you have to put in more deposit and risk more of your own money and that should be a sure sign that the risk is much greater, and that's exactly why the lenders are not prepared to put more of their money in. So many of the mining towns have experienced that meteoric rise in the past, only to come crashing back down when the mining boom finishes, and it's a real roller coaster ride, I'll tell you. So it's not for the faint-hearted, and it's left thousands of property investors that uh, went on that roller coaster in the last boom with a negative equity position and in many cases a rental return that is less than you would find in Perth. So the rents might be back up again now and everyone might have forgotten about how bad things can get. Those that that owned up there certainly haven't but a new investor might not have seen the carnage that went on. Now the biggest downside is that these towns are so dependent on the one industry. And even if they've got a bit of other industries, the main reliance is on the mining for that area. And with demand from workers and investors also flowing in and out with the cycles, it can be extremely volatile. And if you think you can pick the timing for when it's a good time to sell, good luck to you because even the best investors couldn't pick the top or couldn't pick uh, the bottom for when to try to trade in and out. So in summary, you may get a great great rental yield in the mining towns and you may get some growth when mining's going well, might even be meteoric growth in rents and your price when things are going well. But you can just as easily lose it all and when that next downturn comes. So it's just not worth it, guys. So stay away from mining towns, in my opinion, entirely. Now, the second type of speculative property investment is I'm going to cover today is student housing accommodation. So these are usually purpose-built apartment complexes that only allow students to live there. And early in my investing journey, I got presented with an apartment in a housing uh, complex in Melbourne, which also included furnishing to the apartment. So the price points were low compared to other apartments nearby and rental yields were higher. And all the benefits of high depreciation were touted. So we were getting it on a brand new complex, on brand new apartment, and getting it on all the furnishing. And on the face of it, I was actually tempted because I didn't have the borrowing capacity for a higher price property at that point. But they'd never mentioned any of the downsides. And the things to consider is that the potential hassles that come from that type of tenant can be greater so there can be parties there can be disturbances there's bound to be extra wear and tear and higher turnover of the tenancies as well to factor in the cost of replacing tenants and replacing your furniture and keeping up the maintenance on that apartment so it can be difficult to rent these as well during certain times of the year when everyone is on uh, break Back to their typically their countries or wherever they're from, they, they often you go back. Not as much during COVID. The with, problem with COVID is where you don't have uh, international students coming in. So the resale is also very difficult. And in a soft market, especially if tenancies are all still in place, when there's very few investors about in the market to buy, you don't have the home buyers as anywhere near as many of them to drive up price. With their emotions and in the case of this restricted use where only students can use or reside in them this restricts buyers further and therefore demand while over the demands limited while there can be very easily be an oversupply that can also exist when you choose to sell so what drives up prices increasing demand limited supply and it's the opposite here now, the furniture is going to be basic, so it can require frequent replacement, especially with how hard-wearing uh, the tenants are. These are usually located in higher-density apartment groups or unit groups with a low-land component. So the building depreciates over time and with the limited land component to appreciate, you're going to expect limited growth. They can also be very small in the case of a studio apartment and often fall below the bank's 40 square metre minimum size, making uh, you having to tip in uh, more deposit, just as in the case of a mining town, you might have to borrow at 60 or 70%. And when the banks have uh, higher perception of risk, so should you as well. So the limited capital growth potential overall certainly outweighs all the other positives that you can add. And if your goal is growth, this is definitely not the property type for you. If your goal is cash flow, there's probably much better ways to get it. Now, our next property investment type is a short-term motel rent back. So it's where... You own a villa or apartment or unit as part of a group, and it's professionally managed to short-term tenancy them out either by a motel or by stay accommodation type. So while I was on my recent trip down south to Busselton, I actually discovered part way through that the accommodations we were staying in were all privately owned. So owned by uh, individuals, not owned by the overall uh, motel group. So the motel group actually just managed the apartments and and handled everything uh, with regard to you know our stay and keeping them up and cleaning them and maintaining the complexes and everything and placing the reservations and checking you in, checking you out, and all the rest of it. So it was managed under contract by the hotel slash motel operator. Now. The owners often get lured into this because they, they focus on the benefits of the option to stay there. Wouldn't it be great? We've got our own place. We can stay there whenever we like and whenever they wanted to. But what they actually find is that when they want to stay there, the accommodation is all rented out because it's the peak periods of the year. And uh, when the accommodations are vacant, it's usually the crap winter periods where no one wants to go there anyway. and you probably don't want to go there yourself so in the case of these you either can have the option sometimes to stay there for limited time periods um, or uh, otherwise have it managed by the on-site uh, hotel slash motel manager now rental returns would usually be higher even after the management fees are taken out and you would have lots of furniture to depreciate and things to allow for a tax deduction. So these are some of the benefits that lure people in. And it's often in holiday locations or the CBD or close to airports where people are looking to stay short term. So the downsides to consider are that there's a limited market when reselling, which is one of the biggest problems. And ultimately, that limits the demand and price growth. And There is high standards to maintain for both furniture and fit out, coupled with higher wear and tear from that short-term staying, and that can really eat into your return and is often not thought of or factored in. So obviously, when you're the owner of your own property, you can choose when you do upgrades to your property and you can plan that accordingly. But in these types of setups, you usually have to do it when the hotel motor operator Wants it done when they say that you have to. So, less control again. Now, it's usually high density, again, with a low land component and with the building depreciating over time and a limited land component to appreciate. It's another reason why you wouldn't expect too much capital growth. Now, occupancy rates can be lower as well and potentially difficult to fix as you don't have full control. So, if the area goes through a downturn, and the annual returns are directly affected, then it's going to affect your resale price. Because this is treated more as a bit, another st- a step more towards commercial property, the occupancy and the overall return is going to be very key to what your resale price is going to be. Whereas uh, when something's not in this space, it, it's a bit more resilient and and not affected by occupancy. So you can also obviously be largely affected by changes in tourism and things like COVID and border closes. And so, if you go to not getting the having the lower occupancy, then want to get out, it's going to be at the worst time to to try to cash in and get a good price. And again, you can expect lower loan to value ratios from the banks because they're perceiving a much higher risk to this type of investment property. So, look, there's better ways to take a holiday in summary than buying a short-term motel rental to stay at. And again, it comes down to what's your primary goal. If it's growth, this is not where you'll have your money outperform. It's not not the place to put your hard-earned money. Now, let's move on to our next type of investment property. Who here has ever bought a display home from a builder and had them rent back? So, it's more popular than you may think. So, in every display village of every new estate, pretty much all of those homes would be on-sold. All those display homes would be on-sold to someone, a private investor, and rented back from the builder while they stay there for one to two years, typically, and still function as a display home. How do people usually come across these? Well, you're either browsing properties to buy, or you somehow come across a a shiny new display home and it's got all the bells and the whistles and it's being sold with that one or two-year rental agreement from the builder and, oh, that 7 to 8% rental yield seems attractive. It seems too good to be true and that's because it is too good to be true. The builder wants to recoup their capital that they've put into building the property and cash out. So they've put it into all the capital that they've put into building the house. And uh, make some profit as well. So they don't mind paying a higher rental return for being able to keep the property there and use it as a display home in the meantime. and you perceive that oh wow, well, builders an ideal tenant for that first one to two years. They're not going to trash the place. they're, they're going to keep it in pristine condition. and yes, they will. They will make it an ideal tenant for that period. So the fit out will be stunning and sure to impress because they're trying to sell more of their homes. And investors usually fall in love with these finishes and focus on the higher rent return in it. But the catch is that it doesn't last that long. Before they know it, the builder's moving out and they have to find a normal tenant from the market that will pay around half as much at typically the 4 to 5% yield. So one of the main benefits of this property type is that it will be attractive to tenants and eventually home buyers if you ever come to sell. And you'll usually be surrounded by the other display homes because they put them all together. So it's likely to be you know, one of the best presented streets in the area as well. And plus, you can get financing at all the, nor- the normal loan-to-value ratios. So banks will happily lend at 90% on, on these. So the downsides to consider are that it's typically only available in these outer new estate areas where the land supply is plentiful and the builder can get lots of foot traffic. So they typically do it the first stage in a new estate and there'll be subsequent stages to come one after another. And this will keep prices suppressed for a long time as each stage gets released. Now, the location is typically on a main road or a high traffic spot. So the builders display gets visibility after all they they're trying to sell homes they want people to see it so with the building component being 60 to 70% of the overall value and the land being 30 to 40% with that lower land component the buildings only going to depreciate over time because the above with the limited land component it's not likely to have strong price growth is it Now, you don't want to go buying this type of property for the higher rental yield because as I mentioned, it's not going to last. You need to look at the big picture and think about the long term, not the first one to two years. Focus on holding a property for 10, 20, 30 years and and the yield is not going to last. In summary, while it makes us proud to own a shiny new feature-packed property, the location with all the land supply likely to come on for years and years, and the high building component ultimately let this type of investment property down for growth. Now, let's go on with our next and final speculative investment type that you should be aware of, and that's very linked to the previous one, and that's house and land packages. So when the tale of growth in Perth has Spread far and wide the investment marketers and the spruikers will start appearing in droves to offer house and land packages in the outer area land estates they'll tout the benefits of the low stamp duty on the land only and being in a future growth hot spot just look at all the infrastructure that's going in a new coals, a school and if you're lucky enough a train station in five to ten years Plus, having a new property will give you lots of tax savings. It'll be fantastic, won't it? So what are the downsides? Now, many of the same negatives apply, as I mentioned, for display homes. So they're typically only available house and land packages in the outer estate areas where land supply is plentiful and it's easy for them to find the land and package it up. This will keep prices suppressed, as I mentioned, until land supply is fully taken up. And if the infrastructure is coming, there is no proven history of performance. So you really are guessing as to what the growth rates are going to be over the longer term. So even if it's getting the infrastructure, who knows how it's going to perform? Even if the land supply was tight, who knows? It's guessing. So while that building component, again, is higher at the 60 to 70% with the lower land component, again, it's going to hurt you with price growth. Again, buildings depreciate. So depending on who's selling you the package, there can also be very large commissions taken out that the buyer is never aware of more than account for any benefit of building. So the way that they often sell you on this idea is buy wholesale and build what you're paying for is their commission. I'm not saying that all packages are sold with very large commissions, but many are. Building costs and timeframes are blowing out. So you also need to be very selective on your builder and usually don't get a choice of builder if it's being sold in a complete package. When these marketing firms have already gone and chosen the builder, they've worked out the package, they say that they'll do it all for you, make it all easy, but you don't get a choice on the builder. So in summary, if you're after growth, don't buy a house and land package, especially in an outer area. And it can be worth considering this if you're more focused on cash flow, I guess, but then only do it in the infill areas where land is scarce, is my suggestion. So I have got another three speculative investment types to tell you about, and we can't fit them all into this episode. So we're going to divide it up into two parts, and thank you for joining me for this first part. Hopefully... That's opened your eyes to the very costly downsides of these types of investment properties today. We covered house and land packages. We covered the builder display homes, renting back. We covered the short term motel rent backs, and we covered the student housing accommodation. Four areas to beware of, and in my opinion, stay clear of. Buyer beware indeed. So make sure you check out my next episode for part two, where I'll take you inside three more property investment types to be aware of. And hopefully this isn't the first episode that you've listened to of my podcast because there's plenty of other really great options for investing, which I cover off in many other episodes. And if you're enjoying... My podcast and you're listening on iTunes, make sure you give us a review. If you're on any of the other platforms, ensure that you've subscribed and I'll catch you on part two next time.